0: Section 21 of The Fable of the Bees by Bernard Mandeville. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Line 367. To live great had made her husband rob the state. What are common rogues, when they are going to be hanged, chiefly complain of, as the cause of their untimely end is, next to neglect of the Sabbath, their having kept company with ill women, meaning whores, and I do not question but that among the lesser villains many venture their necks to indulge and satisfy their low amours. But the words that have given occasion to this remark may serve to hint to us that among the great ones men are often put upon such dangerous projects and forced into such pernicious measures by their wives as the most subtle mistress never could have persuaded them to i have shown already that the worst of women and the most profligate of the sex did contribute to the consumption of superfluities as well as the necessaries of life and consequently were beneficial to many peaceable drudges that work hard to maintain their families and have no worse design than an honest livelihood let them be banished notwithstanding says a good man when every strumpet is gone and the land wholly freed from lewdness God Almighty will pour such blessings upon it as will vastly exceed the profits that are now got by harlots. This perhaps would be true, but I can make it evident that, with or without prostitutes, nothing could make amends for the detriment trade would sustain if all those of that sex who enjoy the happy state of matrimony should act and behave themselves as a sober wise man could wish them. The variety of work that is performed, and the number of hands employed to gratify the fickleness and luxury of women, is prodigious, and if only the married one should hearken to reason and just remonstrances, think themselves sufficiently answered with the first refusal, and never ask a second time what had been once denied them, if, I say, married women would do this, and then lay out no money but what their husbands knew, and freely allowed of, the consumption of a thousand things they now make use of would be lessened by at least a fourth part let us go from house to house and observe the way of the world only among the middling people creditable shopkeepers that spend two or three hundred a year and we shall find the women when they have half a score suits of clothes two or three of them not the worse for wearing will think it is a sufficient plea for new ones if they can say that they have never a gown or petticoat but what they have been often seen in, and are known by, especially at church. I do not now speak of profuse extravagant women, but such as are counted prudent and moderate in their desires. If by this pattern we should in proportion judge of the highest ranks, where the richest clothes are but a trifle to their other expenses, and not forget the furniture of all sorts, equipages, jewels, and buildings of persons of quality, we should find the fourth part I speak of a vast article in trade, and that the loss of it would be a greater calamity to such a nation as ours than it is possible to conceive any other, a raging pestilence not excepted For the death of half a million people could not cause a tenth part of the disturbance to the kingdom than the same number of poor unemployed would certainly create, if at once they were to be added to those that already, one way or other, are a burden to the society. Some few men have a real passion for their wives, and are fond of them without reserve. Others that do not care, and have little occasion for women, are yet seemingly oxurious, and love out of vanity. They take delight in a handsome wife, as a coxcomb does in a fine horse, not for the use he makes of it, but because it is his. The pleasure lies in the consciousness of an uncontrollable possession, and what follows from it the reflection on the mighty thoughts he imagines others to have of his happiness. The men of either sort may be very lavish to their wives, and often preventing their wishes, crowd new clothes and other finery upon them faster than they can ask it, but the greatest part are wiser than to indulge the extravagances of their wives so far as to give them immediately everything they are pleased to fancy. It is incredible what vast quantity of trinkets as well as apparel are purchased and used by women which they could never have come at by any other means than pinching their families, marketing, and other ways of cheating and pilfering from their husbands. Others, by ever teasing their spouses, tire them into compliance, and conquer even obstinate churls by perseverance, and their assiduity of asking. A third sort are outrageous at a denial, and by downright noise and scolding bully their tame fools out of anything they have a mind to, while thousands, by the force of wheedling, know how to overcome the best-weighed reasons and the most positive reiterated refusals. The young and beautiful especially laugh at all remonstrances and denials, and few of them scruple to employ the most tender minutes of wedlock to promote a sordid interest. Here, had I time, I could inveigh with warmth against those base, those wicked women, Who calmly play their arts and false deluding charms against our strength and prudence, And act the harlots with their husbands. Nay, she is worse than a whore, Who impiously profanes and prostitutes the sacred rites of love to vile ignoble ends, That first excites to passion, and invites to joy with seeming ardor, then racks our fondness for no other purpose than to extort a gift while full of guile and counterfeited transports she watches for the moment when men can least deny i beg pardon for this start out of my way and desire the experienced reader duly to weigh what has been said as to the main purpose and after that call to mind the temporal blessings which men daily hear not only toasted and wished for when people are merry and doing of nothing but likewise gravely and solemnly prayed for in churches and other religious assemblies by clergymen of all sorts and sizes and as soon as he shall have laid these things together and from what he has observed in the common affairs of life reasoned upon them consequentially without prejudice i dare flatter myself that he will be obliged to own that a considerable portion of what the prosperity of london and trade in general and consequently the honor, strength, safety, and all the worldly interest of the nation consist in, depend entirely on the deceit and vile stratagems of women. And that humility, content, meekness, obedience to reasonable husbands, frugality, and all the virtues together, if they were possessed of them in the most eminent degree, could not possibly be a thousandth part so serviceable to make an opulent, powerful, and what we call a flourishing kingdom, than their most hateful qualities. I do not question, but many of my readers will be startled at this assertion, when they look on the consequences that may be drawn from it, and I shall be asked, whether people may not as well be virtuous in a populous, rich, wide, extended kingdom, as in a small, indigent state or principality that is poorly inhabited, and, if that be impossible, whether it is not the duty of all sovereigns to reduce their subjects as to wealth and numbers as much as they can, if I allow they may, I own myself in the wrong, and if I affirm the other, my tenets will justly be called impious, or at least dangerous to all large societies. As it is not in this place of the book only, but a great many others, that such queries might be made even by a well-meaning reader, I shall here explain myself, and endeavor to solve these difficulties, which several passages might have raised in him, in order to demonstrate the consistency of my opinion to reason, and the strictest morality i lay down as a first principle that in all societies great or small it is the duty of every member of it to be good that virtue ought to be encouraged vice discountenanced the laws obeyed and the transgressors punished after this i affirm that if we consult history both ancient and modern and take a view of what has passed in the world we shall find that human nature since the fall of adam has always been the same, and that the strength and frailties of it have ever been conspicuous in one part of the globe or other, without any regard to ages, climates, or religion. I never said nor imagined that man could not be virtuous as well in a rich and mighty kingdom as in the most pitiful commonwealth, but I own it is my sense that no society can be raised into such a rich and mighty kingdom, or so raised, Subsist in their wealth and power for any considerable time without the vices of man. This, I imagine, is sufficiently proved throughout the book, and as human nature still continues the same as it has always been for so many thousand years, we have no great reason to suspect a future change in it while the world endures. Now, I cannot see what immorality there is in showing a man the origin and power of those passions which so often, even unknowingly to himself, hurry him away from his reason, or that there is any impiety in putting him upon his guard against himself, and the secret stratagems of self-love, and teaching him the difference between such actions as proceed from a victory over the passions, and those that are only the result of a conquest which one passion obtains over another, that is between real and counterfeited virtue. It is an admirable saying of a worthy divine that though many discoveries have been made in the world of self-love, yet there is abundance of terra incognita left behind. What hurt do I do to man if I make him more known to himself than he was before? But we are all so desperately in love with flattery that we can never relish a truth that is mortifying, and I do not believe that the immortality of the soul, a truth broached long before Christianity, would have ever found such a general reception in human capacities as it has, had it not been a pleasing one, that extolled, and was a compliment to the whole species, the meanest and most miserable not Every Everyone loves to hear the thing well spoken of that he has a share in, even bailiffs, jail-keepers, and the hangman himself would have you think well of their functions, Nay, thieves and housebreakers have a greater regard to those of their fraternity than they have for honest people, and I sincerely believe that it is chiefly self-love that has gained this little treatise, as it were before the last impression, so many enemies. Everyone looks upon it as an affront done to himself, because it detracts from the dignity and lessens the fine notions he has conceived of mankind, the most worshipful company he belongs to when I say that societies cannot be raised to wealth and power, and the top of earthly glory, without vices, I do not think that, by so saying, I bid the men be vicious, any more than I bid them be quarrelsome or covetous, when I affirm that the profession of the law could not be maintained in such numbers and splendor, if there was not abundance of too selfish and litigious people. But as nothing would more clearly demonstrate the falsity of my notions, Than that the generality of the people should fall in with them. So I do not expect the approbation of the multitude. I write not to many, nor seek for any well-wishers, but among the few that can think abstractly, and have their minds elevated above the vulgar. If I have shown the way to worldly greatness, I have always, without hesitation, preferred the road that leads to virtue. Would you banish fraud and luxury, prevent profaneness and irreligion, and make the generality of the people charitable, good, and virtuous, break down the printing press, melt the founds, and burn all the books in the island, except those at the universities, where they remain unmolested, and suffer no volume in private hands but a Bible, knock down foreign trade, prohibit all commerce with strangers, and permit no ships to go to sea, that ever will return beyond fisher-boats, Restore to the clergy, the king, and the barons their ancient privileges, prerogatives, and professions. Build new churches, and convert all the coin you can come at into sacred utensils. Erect monasteries and almshouses in abundance, and let no parish be without a charity school. Enact sumptuary laws, and let your youth be inured to hardship. INSPIRE THEM WITH ALL THE NICE AND MOST REFINED NOTIONS OF HONOR AND SHAME, OF FRIENDSHIP AND OF HEROISM, AND INTRODUCE AMONG THEM A GREAT VARIETY OF IMAGINARY REWARDS. THEN LET THE CLERGY PREACH ABSTINENCE AND SELF-DENIAL TO OTHERS, AND TAKE WHAT LIBERTY THEY PLEASE FOR THEMSELVES. LET THEM BEAR THE GREATEST SWAY IN THE MANAGEMENT OF STATE AFFAIRS, AND NO MAN BE MADE LORD TREASURER BUT A BISHOP but by such pious endeavors and wholesome regulations the scene would soon be altered the greatest part of the covetous the discontented the restless and ambitious villains would leave the land vast swarms of cheating knaves would abandon the city and be dispersed throughout the country artificers would learn to hold the plough merchants turn farmers and the sinful overgrown jerusalem without famine, war, pestilence, or compulsion, be emptied in the most easy manner, and ever after cease to be dreadful to her sovereigns. The happy reformed kingdom would by this means be crowded in no part of it, and everything necessary for the sustenance of man be cheap and abound. On the contrary, the root of so many thousand evils, money, would be very scarce, and as little wanted, where every man should enjoy the fruits of his own labor, and our own dear manufacture unmixed, be promiscuously wore by the lord and the peasant. It is impossible that such a change of circumstances should not influence the manners of a nation, and render them temperate, honest, and sincere, and from the next generation we might reasonably expect a more healthy and robust offspring than the present, an harmless, innocent, and well-meaning people, that would never dispute the doctrine of passive obedience, nor any other orthodox principles, but be submissive to superiors, and unanimous in religious worship. Here I fancy myself interrupted by an epicure, who, not to want a restorative diet in case of necessity, is never without live ortolans, and I am told that goodness and probity are to be had at a cheaper rate than the ruin of a nation, and the destruction of all the comforts of life, That liberty and property may be maintained without wickedness or fraud, and men be good subjects without being slaves, and religious though they refuse to be priest-rid. That to be frugal and saving is a duty incumbent only on those whose circumstances require it, but that a man of a good estate does his country a service by living up to the income of it, that as to himself, he is so much master of his appetites that he can abstain from anything upon occasion." that where the true hermitage was not to be had, he could content himself with plain Bordeaux, if it had a good body, that many a morning, instead of St. Lawrence, he has made a shift with Frontignac, and after dinner given Cyprus wine, and even Madeira, when he has had a large company, and thought it extravagant to treat with tauquet, but that all voluntary mortifications are superstitious, only belonging to blind zealots and enthusiasts, He will quote my Lord Shaftesbury against me, and tell me that people may be virtuous and sociable without self-denial, that it is an affront to virtue to make it inaccessible, that I make a bugbear of it to frighten men from it as a thing impracticable, but that for his part he can praise God, and at the same time enjoy his creatures with a good conscience, neither will he forget anything to his purpose of what I have said. Page 66. He will ask me at last, whether the legislature, the wisdom of the nation itself, while they endeavor as much as possible to discourage profaneness and immorality and promote the glory of God, do not openly profess, at the same time, to have nothing more at heart than the ease and welfare of the subject, the wealth, strength, honor, and what else is called the true interest of the country, and, moreover, whether the most devout and most learned of our prelates, in their greatest concern for our conversion, when they beseech the deity to turn their own as well as our hearts, from the world and all carnal desires, do not in the same prayer as loudly solicit him to pour all earthly blessings and temporal felicity on the kingdom they belong to? These are the apologies, the excuses, and common pleas, not only of those who are notoriously vicious, but the generality of mankind, when you touch the copyhold of their inclinations, and trying the real value they have for spirituals would actually strip them of what their minds are wholly bent upon. Ashamed of the many frailties they feel within, all men endeavor to hide themselves, their ugly nakedness, from each other, and wrapping up the true motives of their hearts in the specious cloak of sociableness and their concern for the public good, they are in hopes of concealing their filthy appetites, and the deformity of their desires while they are conscious within of the fondness for their darling lusts and their incapacity barefaced to tread the arduous rugged path of virtue as to the last two questions i own they are very puzzling to what the epicure asks i am obliged to answer in the affirmative and unless i would which god forbid arraign the sincerity of kings bishops and the whole legislative power the objection stands good against me. All I can say for myself is that in the connection of the facts there is a mystery past human understanding, and to convince the reader that this is no evasion I shall illustrate the incomprehensibility of it in the following parable. In old heathen times there was, they say, a whimsical country where the people talked much of religion and the greatest part as to outward appearance seemed really devout, The chief moral evil among them was thirst, and to quench it a damnable sin. Yet they unanimously agreed that everyone was born thirsty, more or less. Small beer in moderation was allowed to all, and he was counted an hypocrite, a cynic, or a madman, who pretended that one could live altogether without it. Yet those who owned they loved it, and drank to excess, were counted wicked. All this, while the beer itself was reckoned a blessing from heaven, and there was no harm in the use of it. All the enormity lay in the abuse, the motive of the heart that made them drink it. He that took the least drop of it to quench his thirst committed a heinous crime, while others drank large quantities without any guilt. So they did it indifferently, and for no other reason than to mend their complexion. They brewed for other countries as well as their own, And for the small beer they sent abroad, they received large returns of Westphalia hams, neat's tongues, hung beef, and bologna sausages, red herrings, pickled sturgeon, caviar, anchovies, and everything that was proper to make their liquor go down with pleasure. Those who kept great stores of small beer by them without making use of it were generally envied, and at the same time very odious to the public and nobody was easy that had not enough of it come to his own share. The greatest calamity they thought could befall them was to keep their hops and barley upon their hands, and the more they yearly consumed of them, the more they reckoned the country to flourish. The government had many very wise regulations concerning the returns that were made for their exports, encouraged very much the importation of salt and pepper, and laid heavy duties on everything that was not well seasoned and might anyways obstruct the sale of their own hops and barley. Those at the helm, when they acted in public, showed themselves on all accounts exempt and wholly divested from thirst, made several laws to prevent the growth of it, and punished the wicked who openly dared to quench it. If you examine them in their private persons, and pride narrowly into their lives and conversations, they seemed to be more fond, or at least drank larger draughts of small beer than others, but always under pretense that the mending of complexions required greater quantities of liquor in them than it did those they ruled over, and that what they had chiefly at heart, without any regard to themselves, was to procure a great plenty of small beer among the subjects in general and a great demand for their hops and barley. As nobody was debarred from small beer, the clergy made use of it as well as the laity, and some of them very plentifully, Yet all of them desired to be thought less thirsty by their function than others, and never would own that they drank any but to mend their complexions. In their religious assemblies they were more sincere, for as soon as they came there, they all openly confessed, the clergy as well as the laity, from the highest to the lowest, that they were thirsty, that mending their complexions was what they minded the least, and that all their hearts were set upon small beer and quenching their thirst." whatever they might pretend the contrary. What was remarkable is, that to have laid hold of those truths to any one's prejudice, and made use of those confessions afterwards out of their temples, would be counted very impertinent, and everybody thought it an heinous affront to be called thirsty, though you had seen him drink small beer by whole gallons. The chief topics of their preachers was the great evil of thirst, and the folly there was in quenching it, They exhorted their hearers to resist the temptations of it, invade against small beer, and often told them it was poison, if they drank it with pleasure, or any other design than to mend their complexions. In their acknowledgments to the gods, they thanked them for the plenty of comfortable small beer they had received from them, notwithstanding they had so little deserved it, and continually quenched their thirst with it whereas they were so thoroughly satisfied that it was given them for a better use. Having begged pardon for those offenses, they desired the gods to lessen their thirst, and give them strength to resist the importunities of it. Yet in the midst of their sorest repentance and most humble supplications, they never forgot small beer, and prayed that they might continue to have it in great plenty, with the solemn promise that how neglectful soever they might hitherto have been in this point, they would for the future not drink a drop of it with any other design than to mend their complexions. These were standing petitions put together to last, and having continued to be made use of without any alterations for several hundred years together, it was thought by some that the gods who understood futurity, and knew that the same promise they heard in June, would be made to them the January following, did not rely much more on those vows than we do on those waggish inscriptions by which men offer us their goods, today for money and tomorrow for nothing. They often began their prayers very mystically, and spoke many things in a spiritual sense, yet they were never so abstract from the world in them as to end one without beseeching the gods to bless and prosper the brewing trade in all its branches, and for the good of the whole, more and more to increase the consumption of hops and barley. End of section 21